Yes, welcome to Gardening Talk, back on 2NURFM 103.7. My name's Phil Bates, and uh, sitting opposite me in the studio to answer all of your gardening questions on 49216216, David Peterson from Walls End Community Nurseries. Hello, Phil, and good afternoon, everyone. It is sort of a nice day, Phil, but I, I think we're going to... cold this morning. Yeah, I, I got up and sort of reached for the T-shirt and shorts <laughs> I had on yesterday, and then I thought, no, perhaps not. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really mm. weird, sort of how we step back, but it's sort of warming up as we speak. Yeah, so. as I drove in an hour or so ago, yes. there was some blue sky so over in the west. So hopefully the afternoon will be nice and pleasant. Yep. Just enough rain at my place anyway to sort of uh, brighten up the garden a little bit and what, save this morning? water. This morning? Yeah, yeah. that mm. was another weird thing because when I left home, it was fine, but I got to work <laughs> and it looked like there had been a shower of rain, so I don't sort of know where that went. Oh, maybe, maybe it's very localised yes, just to, yes. to the north of the lake <laughs> or something. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was good at my place. Yes, because I planted some things over the weekend. Oh, okay. And um, okay. Uh, it was good to get a little bit of water too, Always to is, water them it? in. Yeah. Okay, just repeating the number to ring if you've got any gardening questions at all for David, 49216216. Or if you've got any success stories or anything you'd like to skite about, then um, the same number, and you can tell the gardeners of the Hunter all about it. Um, David, uh, two things happen yes. when people ring up. They can go in the drawer for 2NURFM's gardening walk back where you come around to their place, mm-hmm. check things out, give them a little bit of advice as you stroll around the garden. One person every month, all you need to do there is give your details to Diane when you ring up with your question. Diane's uh, the kind lady on the phone. And um, the other thing, of course, is that everyone who rings up today goes in the drawer to win these wonderful things that you're giving away, including this plant, which I think the only word for it is spectacular, David. Isn't it? I mean, it, it's just magnificent. And I mean, I've had that comment even since I've walked through the doors this I can morning. understand why. <laughs> uh, it is a lovely thing. It actually is a bulb. Now, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name of the bulb, but its common name is called White Princess, and, of course, Phil and I can certainly see why it's called yeah. White Princess. Um, there, It's a bulb. It actually is planted in just a 140ml pot, but there's several bulbs planted in it, and it's up in flower, and it's got the most magnificent spike of white flowers, tiny white flowers. Well, I shouldn't say they're not tiny, but reasonably uh, small flowers flowers joined together to form this magnificent spike of white yeah. flowers and it's just it's just adorable and it looks like it starts flowering at the bottom and Does, it's its yes. way up the spike so yeah. it's quite a long flowering bulb that you will have one of those bulbs that you just have in just to give you some instant color at this time of the year and it certainly is giving that so that's the white princess that I'm giving away today as well as that I'm giving away a container of the eco guard this is the foliage tonic uh, which you can spray onto plants that just may look a little bit sick and if you spray this tonic on you'll find that it'll spruce it up very very quickly as well as a container of the organic harvest that's the seaweed fish emulsion extract which is one that you dilute down and you can use on everything in your garden including your grass if you really want to oh. uh, yeah to, to boost the grass up or to make it a little bit greener than normal um, but the rain's certainly helping us do that at the mm. moment and as well as that some other sachets of things in there including some saturated and some other fertiliser as well. So that's going to one okay. of our lucky. Okay. And all you need to do is be listening at the end of the program. Yes. And um, uh, if you're the person who David chooses, then uh, the goodies are yours and you need to pick them up at the nursery before next Monday. It was certainly, yes. yes. I had a call after you had left uh, oh, last yes. week, David, from the lady 
who was chosen last week and you'd given her some advice, she'd gone out into the garden to do it. Oh, right, and okay. totally missed the oh, end of the program. Okay. But somebody rang her up and yes. said um, that, that she was the person. So Excellent. Yep. See, there's always even neighbours that are listening. Exactly. That, um, if you miss it, somebody else will know who you are. Yep, and they'll ring you. Yep. yep. But don't rely on it. Be listening at the end of the program just in case. Uh, 17 minutes past 12. Um, are we ready to go? I am, yes. Okay. Well, let's get started by talking to Anne from Medford. Hello, Anne. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. What can I do for you today? Well, I have some hibiscus shrubs. Yes. And the leaves keep going yellow mm-hmm. and falling off. Yes. And apart from the, uh, otherwise they have holes in them. Okay. I've given it a spray with Confidor. I've pruned them quite severely, one quite severely, but it's starting to get new shoots. And I've given them a dose of uh, blood and bone. Mm-hmm. Every 12 months when they start to come on and look good, these leaves seem to go yellow all the time. Okay. Well, look, certainly, Anne, you've done all the correct things because the two main things at this time of the year are pruning them back very, very severely because we are in October now, so that's always the time to prune our hibiscus back very, very hard. Feed them up well with a good complete fertiliser. And the other thing you can do is just put a little bit of uh, cow manure around the base of them as well because that's going to serve also as a feeding manure but also as a, a mulch which is going to help retain the moisture. As far as the yellowing of the leaves, the only thing that often causes that throughout the season is if the plant is drying out too frequently. It doesn't just happen once. If, you, if it dries out several times, it just puts the plant under a little bit of stress, and this does cause a fair amount of yellowing of the foliage. Now, this yellowing of the foliage always generally occurs on the lower part of the plant, so it's not the young foliage that tends to go yellow. It's always the older foliage. So that little trick then, Anne, is to try and keep the moisture up to them as much as you possibly can through the growing season and the flowering season. And then also to just continue using your confidor just periodically through the season. And that should take care of all the bugs that actually get on the hibiscus. Right. All right. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure, Anne. Bye-bye now. Bye. Yes, thank you, Anne. And uh, we go next to Mulbring and Chris is on the line. Hello, Chris. Oh, hello, David. How are you? Thank you. That's good. Um, David, I've got two questions, if I may. Yes. The first one is we have a Eureka lemon tree, which is growing just beautifully, but I've just noticed in the last few days that at the base of the tree, there are four branches coming out from it. They're really thin, skinny little branches with lots of thorns on it. Okay. Is that normal? Should I chop them off? Well, it is normal for that to happen because basically what the plant's doing is just shooting from all stages. But unfortunately, these branches that are coming up from the base are coming from what it's actually grafted onto. And you don't really want these to grow any further. So if they're only small, you can break them off and that will injure the bark and it won't reshoot from that area. But if they're reasonably thick, you would need to try and cut them off quite flush with the main stem so that it doesn't reshoot from that area again. Because if you just leave the smallest little bit there, it will reshoot out much stronger again. So you've really got to try and cut it nice and close to the main stem. Okay, that sounds good. Excellent, thank you. Now the second, um, just a, a trivia thing, somebody had mentioned that the common lemon tree attracts more um, insects, more bugs to it than, say, the Eureka lemon tree. Mm-hmm. Is this true? And should we have them together near each other in the same yard? What are you calling the common lemon? 
I don't know. This is I'm not really a, a good gardener here. Okay. My husband had just heard that a common lemon tree. Yes. Okay. Well, when we mention the name common lemon, we refer to the very, very old, rough-skinned lemon, which is the one that we shouldn't be growing these days because right. it harbours a thing called gall wasp and it spreads to all our other citrus. It was always a beautiful lemon as far as eating goes, but unfortunately it is illegal to actually have those growing because okay. of the harbouring of the gall wasp. Right. Uh, so we, I don't know whether we've clarified that, but uh, if, if we're talking about the common lemon against the new lemons, no, it shouldn't um, have diseases any more than what just a normal lemon would have, only that, as I said, it is the one that will harbour the gore wasp, which, as I said, causes lots and lots of problems with our citrus trees. Right. Well, this was a tiny little tree that somebody had given us from their garden. It's only, it'd probably be two foot tall mm -hmm. in that. It's a tiny little thing. So I really couldn't even tell you what the true yes. type of tree it, it is. Do I need to... Would I bring a, a leaf or something? <laughs> no, well, th even that in itself won't uh, identify it. It's only, in, right. only if you knew where it came from or what tree it came from or wait until it fruits. But, of course, if it's the common lemon, I wouldn't even suggest to let it get to that stage. No. So okay. it would be a really good idea if you can try and find out exactly which lemon it is. If, they call, if they're calling it the rough-skinned lemon, that's the one you need to get rid of. Right, okay, that's terrific then. Okay, right. thank you very much for that information. You're welcome, Chris. Okay. Okay, thank bye you. Bye. bye. Thank you, Chris. Um, David, let me see. Uh, Ray from Gwendolyn is on the line now. Hello, Ray. Hey, good morning. Um, just a question. I uh, want to trans uh, plant a rose bush, a very old one. Yes. Um, because I'm getting a new driveway and a uh, uh, patio put at the front of my mm -hmm. house. Yes. Um, I wonder what's the best way to go about it. Right. Well, I mean, of course, the the ideal time for doing that, Ray, would have been in wintertime when, uh, when we do cut all our roses back. But considering it's something that's got to be done, it's just yeah. another case of you pruning the rose back quite severely. Uh, being a very, very old rose, the root system would be reasonably extensive. So therefore, that's going to compensate by cutting the top of the rose to compensate for what you're going to damage when you try and dig it up. Now, you're going to have to try and get as much soil as you possibly can around the root system um, and then move it to the new spot, making sure, of course, you prepared the new spot really well by adding some compost through it or even a little bit of um, lime as well, which will sweeten the soil. Once you've, put it, once you've popped it into the new spot, water that in really, really well. And then if you've got some sea salt, make sure you water some sea salt around it and try and do that every 14 days for at least three applications. And basically what sea salt does, it stimulates the roots to grow back from what may have been damaged when you have moved it. Now, the rose may take some time to shoot away, but don't despair. It will shoot away eventually because roses uh, are quite okay as far as moving them, even fairly large established roses. So uh, as long as you do all of those sorts of things, you should um, have a nice healthy rose within a matter of uh, a few months again. Great. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye now. Thank you, Ray. Um, to Abermain we go next, and Gail is on the line. Hello, Gail. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. I've got to turn this machine off. <laughs> Thanks, Gail. <laughs> you, had, you had echo in the background there. Yes. Because I can't hear the radio unless I, I can't hear the program unless they have the radio. No, on. that's very true. It's a little bit inconvenient <laughs> sometimes. What can I do for you today, Gail? Um, I have, I don't know if I've 
said it to you before, I have a big mandarin tree. It's an older one in my front yard. Mm-hmm. I'm renting the house. Yes. In it, he's dying back something major. Right. So you ju- I mean, when I... Yeah. So you're just getting sections that are dying out or...? Okay. Well, what you would need to do um, is just, of course, this time of the year, you'll need to cut those dead sections out and you possibly may even have to just give the tree a trim all over and then just feed it up with a good citrus fertiliser to try and push as much growth back into the tree as possible. Now, the reason why a lot of the older citrus do that is because that's exactly what they are. They're old and they sometimes do die back in sections. So we've got to try and encourage some really good growth and the only way to do that as I said, is by cutting the dead sections out, trimming the tree all over, and then feeding it up to try and promote some really good strong growth again. The the other thing, though, is we've got other trees in the yard Mm. that are dying. Okay. They've died, like they've got big dieback bits on them. Okay, and are these fairly mature trees? Well, one wasn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's nothing being used on them of late that may have burnt them in some way and caused this diebacking, whereas if you've okay. used strong fertilisers or something like that? No, okay. they happen through wintertime. All right. Well, perhaps it's just the wintertime that may have caused that. They may have just become a little bit too waterlogged because citrus are fairly surface rooting, and if they get a lot of water, sometimes that does cause a lot of dieback. What I would suggest that you try and do, Gail, is probably just water some fungicide around the root systems just in case there is a little bit of fungal disease around and that will prevent the fungal disease from going any further. All right. So you may even, like to... Even, yeah, I was going to say, even my um, passion fruit plant got real bad dieback yes. on it. Yes. Well, I can understand why the passion fruit has done that because in Abermain it's fairly cold and passion fruit are more tropical plants, so that's why that may have occurred. But once again, with the passion fruit, they just need to be pruned back to try and encourage some really good growth. Make sure, of course, you feed it up well once you have pruned it back to try and encourage the young growth. So it may be just the case of the winter seasons as well. As I said, by using a little bit of fungicide, feeding them up well, you should get some really good growth once we get into some reasonable warm weather to encourage the growth. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right then. Thank you, Gail. Bye. Thank you very much, Gail. Um, Abadair is next on the line. We say hello to Sue this time. Hello, Sue. Hello, David. I'll have to preface this with I'm the world's worst gardener. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I've just got two small problems. We have a north-facing house, and on the veranda of that house, we have a bird of paradise in a pot. Mm-hmm. And it's flowered once in 12 years. <laughs> what am I doing? Okay. So, look, first of all, with the bird of paradise, they, they normally are planted in the ground because they have such an enormous root system that it can cause a lot of problems eventually. Oh, right. So, And secondly, with bird of paradise, they need as much sun as possible all yes, day. I've seen them growing west. Yes, all day preferably. I mean, once we get into more of a semi-shaded, particularly on a veranda or somewhere like that, it's basically cutting the sun down. So you really do need, if you're wanting to grow the bird of paradise in a pot, is to put it right outside in the exposed sun. And basically, Sue, the other thing to do with bird of paradise is, is neglect them. 
just oh, yes, yes. <laughs> try not to even overfeed them or anything like that because um, it really doesn't do them any good. They just have to be neglected. So perhaps it's just the um, the sun that uh, it's missing that it just needs to be put out into a lot more sun. So it's right. really, really hot for it. Well, I'll bring it round to the back of the house, which is south, and, you know, okay. it'll get that. Now, the other thing, I have, this is what happens when you don't get tags. I brought back a tree from southeast South Australia. I think it's a river red gum. Mm -hmm. I planted it up the backyard. In about four years, it's attained about three and a half metres. Right. And very rapid. Uh, again, no care, goodness me. Um, and... The, branch, the lower branches are starting to die, but there's a lot of new growth on the top. Mm -hmm. uh, it just sort of, it's happy, but it's not happy if you get madrift. Why would the bottom lower branches be dying Yes, back? well, on some of, the, some of the gums that tend to grow quite large, a lot of the lower branches will die off. This is yep. quite a natural procedure for gum trees. But my, the thing that I would just ask you is, I mean, look, I'll tell you is that if it's growing, you know, with all that lovely new growth on the top, that would be mainly all I would be concerned about. I wouldn't worry too much about the lower branches dying off because I think you'll probably find that's a natural procedure for that to happen. Right, okay. Just right. so long as it's growing, you know, reasonably fast and you, you feed it just with a native fertiliser, something like some blood and bone, yeah. uh, that will certainly push a little bit of strength into the plant so yeah. it's not just going to grow tall and lanky. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll, I'll try that. Okay. Okay, David, thank you. Thanks, Sue. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sue. It sounds like the bird of paradise is the ideal plant for someone who claims that they're not, <laughs> <laughs> they're not the world's best gardener. Well, Phil... If it thrives on neglect. Well, it does. Mm. It does. And, I mean, you, you see a lot of bird of paradise in a lot of older gardens and they, you see them right out into the open and they just mm. left, left there and they're not worried about. Yep. But the only problem is when people want to remove them, that's the prig problem because with bird of paradise they have such a substantial root yeah, system yeah, right. that most people that want to get rid of a clump, a big clump of it, have got to have a backhoe in to pull it out <laughs> because there's no way that you can dig a bird of paradise out of the ground successfully. Right. Otherwise, you'd be there for days. So you need to make sure you really want it where That's you put right. it before yes. you put it there. Yes. Right. Hello, Gail. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I just want to talk to you about spraying weeds in the grass. Yes. Please. Now, mine's full of dandelions and the bindies. Yes. But um, what worries me is every night on the weather report, they say that it's going to rain all week. They said that last week and it didn't rain once. So yes. I've weeds. been caught so many times by that. <laughs> so um, how long... Do you need to, 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 before, in between rain, you know, when okay. you put the spray on and then when it rains? All right. Well, we normally say six hours. Six hours. Now, that's a good safe amount of time, but it can be a little <laughs> bit less than that. But I always try and say six hours to try and get people to make it six hours before they oh, start watering and things like that. So, I mean, I know it is a bit of a gamble, but we've got, just got to take that gamble and try and do our weed spraying because if we leave it, too much longer, of course, it gets right into the season, yeah, so we won't get... will turn into the bindi. That's right, ready for next year again. <laughs> so so oh, yeah. it's just a matter of taking a gamble, Gail, and just getting in and trying to spray them. I know even today, as I said earlier in the program, I left home and it was fine and I got to work and it looked like it had been raining, so that's how weird it is. So. Right, well, thank you very much and enjoying your program. Have a nice day. Thank you, Gail. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gail. Oh, look, I, I so <laughs> identify with Gail there. I, 
Yeah, from, it can be difficult at times. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to, um, well, you know, Lucy likes to get out and, and put some lawn fertiliser down or some mm. blood and bone around some of the natives. Today we needed to put a little bit of um, iron shellates around a few things that are looking a little bit um, a little bit hungry. And um, and again, spraying the weeds in the pavers yes. and all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, as Gail said, it's just so hard to find a time yes. when it, it looks like it's not going to rain. And yesterday would have been the perfect day, except we... we we were out for the morning, so uh, what can you but do? the rest of the week's going to be fine, so I think it's probably a good idea if people yeah. are thinking of spraying. Probably from tomorrow would be a great it opportunity. does look pretty good, yes. yeah. Okay, next on the line, David, it's uh, Rennie from Raymond Terrace. Hello, Rennie. Uh, hello, Dave. Um, yeah, I've got a problem. I've got some tomatoes uh, that I bought from uh, Woolies, uh, Woolies, the mm-hmm. plants. They've got getting curly leaves. Okay. Well, look, without actually seeing the tomatoes, it sometimes can be a little bit difficult to know. But look, what I normally suggest with things that you're putting in the garden, there are fairly environmentally friendly products on the market. One of them is a product called Success, which I find is very, very good for tomatoes because it generally keeps most pests and insects um, away. So if you just try and get hold of some Success and just give your tomatoes a spray with that, you may get on top of it. Yeah, I gave them a spray of... um Confidor to sell their small bugs or something on it. Yes. But there hasn't... No success, they're still curling up. Okay, so now the curling of the leaves, is it mainly the lower ones or it's right up to the very no, top right ones? Up the tip. Just right be up the top. Just be a little bit careful there because sometimes when things are curling like that, it may be a spray that's been used in the area that, that doesn't agree with them and it's a natural defence mechanism for the leaves to curl. So just oh. keep an eye on that, particularly if you've been spraying weed sprays around the area or someone may have been spraying weed sprays and it's just settled onto the foliage sometimes that can yeah. cause a fair amount of yellowing and uh, curling of the leaves yeah they were they were same they started from when they were just about four five inches high okay all right they started from there and now they're about uh, 600, right. uh, six centimetre, 600 centimetres high. Well, I think if you just keep up the spray with the Confidor, or as I said, go to the one that I've mentioned, like Success, success. and see oh. whether that gets that under control for you. Okay, okay then. All right. Thank you very much. You're yeah. welcome. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye Bye. now. Thank you, Rennie. Oh, David, yes? uh, one tiny little baby tomato on my tomato Oh, plant. excellent. I'm so excited. I'm, I, I may have <laughs> so tomatoes for lunch be. in a few weeks. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Phil from Dudley is on the line now. Hello, Phil. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Look, uh, a couple of months ago, I planted some kipla potatoes. Yes. In a, in a large uh, pot. I noticed in the last couple of days they're going yellow, the leaves. Okay. Uh, so have they? What what sort of height are we talking about that the foliage is at the moment? Well, the foliage would only be like six inches. Okay, all right. I think possibly what you would need to do. Did you actually lime the garden before you put the potatoes in? I didn't lime it. Okay, no. it might be an idea just to throw some lime on the garden because it sounds very much like to me that the soil may be just a little bit on the sour side and it may just need a little bit of sweetening. Okay. And certainly by just sprinkling a little bit of garden lime over that patch where you've got the potatoes, that may help them. And also, too, it wouldn't hurt if you've got some liquid fertiliser just to pop that over them every couple of weeks and see whether that gets the green back into the foliage as well. All right, David, that sounds good. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye now. 
Thank you, Phil. Uh, if you've been trying to get through, a couple of lines uh, become free just recently. 49216216 is our number on Gardening Talk back here on 2NURFM 103.7. We say hello now to Kay from Taralba. Hello, Kay. Hello, how are you today? Good, thank you. That's good. I'm new at this, so I thought I'd give you a quick call. Very good. Last year I planted a cherry tree. Well, it's a stick, actually. Um, it seems to be going all right, but I just didn't know what I had to do to sort of give it a bit of a boost. So tell me, is it a flowering cherry or an eating cherry? It's an eating cherry. All right. Well, there's a little bit of work that needs to be done even with an eating cherry because they're a fairly cold climate thing. Um, so certainly just if you can get some mulch around the base of the plant, that's always a very, very big help, particularly when we get into the warmer months. They prefer to still be kept nice and cool. So a nice thick lot of mulch. Now, just make sure when you're putting this mulch around that you don't you know, put it right up to the main stem of the plant because that can cause more problems. So just keep it slightly away from the main trunk. And then often what I suggest to people, which is, sounds silly um, because I often get a laugh out of it, is that you just throw a tray of ice cubes over that area every couple of days if you possibly can because that tricks it into thinking that the snow's melting and often you'll often get a good crop of cherries off it by doing that. So that's often oh, a little okay. trick. Yes. So Wonderful. And when would it normally like get fruit on it normally you would get fruit on it you would get flowers in the in the in the mid part of spring and then it should set fruit in the summer months so that's why we've got to keep it moist and cool so that we get this crop off it but certainly you can use the ice cube test or trick at this time of the year just as i said every couple of days just go out and throw the ice cubes around the tree and that way when it's melting it's cold water that goes down to the root system and it just tricks the plant Terrific. So would chook mulch, like I've got chooks with their straws and that, can I use that as a mulch? Yeah, you should be fine with that. I mean, as long as it's not too fresh, because sometimes with with fowl manure it can be a little bit too strong. So just make sure it's fairly old and you can certainly throw that around it as well. Terrific. Thank you so much for your advice. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Kay. Yeah, cherries normally become available commercially around Christmas, don't yes. they? But that, that's from the colder parts of, that's right, uh, yes, of Australia, yes, I yes, imagine. So yes. if you manage to get cherries around here, they'd be much later, would that's they? That's right, yeah. yes. Mm. I mean, and as I said, you can get self-pollinating ones now that you only need the one tree. You don't oh, have yeah. to buy the two trees mm. as you used to have to do. Uh, and it's called Stella. Uh, but certainly, yes, as, as I said, you've still got to try and trick the plant into thinking that it's winter and mm. the ice is melting so that you try and get it into fruiting stage. So. Okay. One of those instances yes. where you've got to be cruel to be kind. <laughs> um, okay, let's see who we've got here. Uh, Hello. Um, I live uh, outside of Cessnock up in the Watergan Hills and um, I'm, uh, we have a fight every year to take the birds away from the fruit on our trees. Mm-hmm. And I've purchased a roll of that white netting. Yes. And... Uh, just two questions. One is, when should I put it over? And two is, does it have to reach right the way down to the ground or do we leave it halfway up or something? Well, look, certainly the, the most important thing is to actually cover the area where the fruit is going to be. So most people do actually just take it right down underneath the um, actual branches themselves. So you're entirely covering it because the birds will find some way of getting in, in, up, up underneath it if they can. Now, the time to put it on would be once the fruit has started to set uh, and you can actually see fruit on the tree, and that would be the time I would certainly say to put it on because it doesn't 
uh, interfere with the growth of the tree at all or the maturity of the um, the fruit on the tree. It's just protecting the fruit. So as soon as you see fruit, get it on, and you've got to try and pull it right down underneath the branches so that um, the birds don't find some way of getting up into it. Well, actually, I'm going to put it right down the ground because we've Excellent. got a real big roll of it, and I'm going to put a heap of large uh, nuts on the bottom to hold it all down. No, that's, uh, that sounds excellent. Okay, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. Bye. Yeah, sorry, we um, seem to be having a little trouble getting uh, people's names through. So once again, we'll just have to say, uh, hello. hello, you're talking to David. Hello. Hello, how are you? We're good, thank you. Good. Hey. I've got a Lisbon lemon tree. Okay, and, well, first of all, whom am I speaking to? Uh, Marguerite. Hello, Marguerite. What can I do for you? Um, I've got a, a Lisbon lemon tree. Yes. And it's got all those horrible, stinky bugs. Already? Yeah. Wow, that's really, really early. So yeah, they uh, are, and they're really, you know, they're really orange. Yes. And they stink. Well, <laughs> well, they're obviously the little ones because we wouldn't have any mature ones this early in the season. Look, there's a, a product that will actually get rid of those. Make sure, of course, you don't disturb them because they they will spit at you, and that is a very, very powerful spit. It's more or less acid that they're spitting at you, so you've got to be really, really careful, so don't aggravate them. The product I that you... jump on them. Pardon? I do jump. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's when, of course, you will be able to smell how strong they are. So uh, there is a product which is called Confidor or Conquer is the other uh, name of the product, which actually will kill them without you aggravating them. So yeah, if right you're eh? trying to get Confidor or Conquer, they're the two that you can get to actually kill them out of the way. So, I mean, look, I've had heard, heard of so many people using various different things of trying to catch them, but look, I would strongly suggest not to do this because, as I said, they will spit at you once they're aggravated. That's right. You, I did hear you say once yes. that, that they, um, there was only one thing that got rid of them. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, All right. And how often would I Well, certainly, well, if you've already got them now, Margaret, I said, certainly would think that you would need to do, just keep an eye on them, do them once, and then just go back and check the plant again in two weeks' time, and if there's some more still there, give them another spray. So, but every two weeks, you shouldn't have to do anything under two weeks sprays. Okay, then. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye-bye now. Thank you very much, Marguerite. Um, next on the line, uh, we go to the Central Coast and say hello to Carmen. Hello, Carmen. Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I just was ringing about the tomatoes with the curly leaves. Yes. I thought it was a new brand because they're selling them like that. Oh, What? So yeah. can you can you tell me the name of the tomato? Oh no, I can't. Oh, okay. Sorry, I looked at so many. Yes, <laughs> I didn't realise how many there was. Okay, there. Oh, there. Look, there's there's quite a and number I thought, of them. Oh, I'll just leave it and find out. There must be a new brand. Yes. No. Well, I mean, look. Unless I actually know the name of it, I really wouldn't like to comment because then I've got to follow that through and just see whether they do have. Uh, a curly leaf, but certainly every... Oh, yes, they got curly leaves. Yes. I mean, <laughs> the only one that I know of that sort of looks a bit curly is the new tumbling tomato, but you mostly see those in um, just in the little pots or in hanging baskets because that's what they're designed for. They actually tumble over the baskets, and they sort of have a twisty sort of leaf to them, but certainly if we've got anyone else out there listening that um, knows exactly the name of it, certainly give me a call and I'll be able to tell you whether it's, yes, um, it's well, the right variety. W like that. Yes. Um, All right. Well, that's very, very interesting. We need to get to the bottom of this just to see exactly what it is. Yes. All right. Thanks, Carmen. That's okay. Okay. Bye-bye now. 
Thanks, Carmen. Yeah, that's a little Weird. bit of detective work. Yes. Yeah. But no doubt there's somebody out there, Phil, that will know exactly what the name of it is. Yep. Our listeners it, know everything. Yes, yeah, I hope so, yes. yes. Um, uh, let's see. You remember Gail from Medford rang up yes. about um, weeds in her lawn. Follow-up question from Gail. Uh, should she mow the grass before okay. she sprays the Good weeds? Good point. Good point, Gail. Look, certainly when we're using chemicals on the lawn, it's always a very, very good idea to, if you're mowing the lawn, leave it at least three or four days and then spray it because we need as much surface on that weed as possible to let the, com- the chemical come in contact with it. Vice versa, if you've sprayed, leave it three or four days before you mow because that way it gives the chemical a chance to get inside the weed and start working. So that's a really good point. Thank you. Yep, yep. Um, okay, uh, six minutes to one. We've got the news coming up on 2NURFM 103.7 at one o'clock for you. Um, until then, and indeed after then, through till half past one, David Peterson from Walls End Nurseries here with um, uh, Gardening Talkback. Um, David, just while we're waiting for a few calls to come through, um, plans for the garden at the moment. What, what do we do? All right. Well, plants, I mean, certainly at this time of the year, we're still very, very active in the garden. I mean, we're still planting lots and lots of vegetables as we are planting lots mm. and lots of flowering seedlings. Right. And just remembering we're nearly at the middle, or we are in the middle of October. So remembering if you're wanting a good show for Christmas, particularly in the way of flowering annuals, we always say to at least give yourself six weeks time uh, to for those annuals to be put in until right. they're in flower. So remembering Christmas is just around the corner. I hate that word. It's, <laughs> we, I, can't, I can't believe where 12 months has gone, actually. But certainly uh, allow yourself six weeks um, of good growing time for your seedlings to be in flower, as well as uh, vegetables. I mean, certainly if you get a crop of vegetables in now, you should have a good crop by Christmas time because the way things are growing uh, with the weather that we're having, particularly the rain, it's certainly sprucing things along. We've mentioned weeds in the lawn certainly is still a great time to be spraying the weeds in the lawn as is a great time to be fertilising the lawn to bring your lawn back on again. Certainly no need to top dress your lawn if, 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 it's, if it's looking okay. Remembering the only reason we need to top dress is if you've got any hollows or gaps in the lawn that you just need to fill in with some right, soil. Yeah, you were you, saying that yeah, I, I, people used to do that every year. Such but an old fashioned thing. Yeah, people would right. do it year after year and every time somebody mentions that in the garden centre I say, well, why are you top dressing? And because my father did it. That's the answer that I often get. So there's really no need to top dress. As long as you keep the fertiliser up to things um, and keep it watered, it will still grow as normal. So there's really no need to top dress at all. So um, what else do we need to do? We need to feed everything in the garden, of course. And remembering just summer is around the corner, so we really need to heavily mulch things in the garden. So make sure you're continually putting mulch on the garden to Mm. keep as much moisture in the ground as possible. The hot, dry weather, not far away. Okay, um, we've got another anonymous caller on, on the line, but I don't know their name. So, again, we'll say hello. You're talking to David. Hello. Yes, hello. that's you. Yep. Hello, it's Mari here from Mount Hutton. Hello, Mari. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Um, in the last few days in my garden, has come up, they looked like little egg things, and now they've come out in a black and red flower. They're like, I, I presume, 
they're a fungus yes. of some kind. I would say they would be because this is, this is basically a fungi that grows so quickly and then it'll probably die as quick as it came. Sometimes it's if you've put some mulch on the garden or you've added some mushroom compost or well, something. I've, ha- I've had sugarcane mulch. Okay, so there may have been some spores within that, within that sugarcane that's just come out as a fungi. Look, they, they do, don't cause any problem to the garden because once you disturb the ground, it just curls up and dies anyway. So I don't think I'd worry too much about that, Mari. Oh, right, that's okay then. All right. Yeah, I didn't know whether they'd be poisonous. Or... Well, they, they're, they're a fungi, so of course they you shouldn't really tangle yeah, them. Yeah, I didn't want to touch that's them. That's right, but just disturb the ground and they will just curl up and die. Some, some In some cases like that, the fungi can have a really horrible smell to it, uh-huh. uh, but certainly if you just disturb the ground, that should get rid of them. Okay. Okay, okay thanks, thank Mari. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Murray. Yeah, that, that one sounds like, I think, stink pots. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Mm, uh, not, <laughs> and it not happens good because name. we've got humid weather and, of course, um, we've had this moisture around which makes them grow really, really fast, mm. so that's why we've got a lot of yep. them. Okay, we've got two minutes to go before the news, and, again, we'll just say hello. You're talking to David. Hello. Hello, David. Hello. Who Hi, how you? are you? Love? It's uh, Bronwyn from Cessnock again. Yes, Bronwyn. <laughs> I've been listening to you talk about this confidor. Yes. Now, I've, we've got a, um, a grevillea in the backyard. It's the moon glow one, the yellow yes, yes. flowering one. And it's very black. The, the branches and the stems are very black. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's okay. causing well, it. Normally, normally with um, grevilleas, they normally have a characteristic of being mottly, at least. Um, mm-hmm. But normally, if they go really, really black, sometimes it can be a thing called sooty mould. Now, yes. if this is the case, you need to get in. Okay. Yeah. You need to get in with some anti-scale because that's really the only thing that will shift it. Just mix that up according to directions, and just give you a grevillea spray with that, and that should, in time, get rid of all that black. It's just a matter of weathering um, and watering that the black will eventually wash off so look it's certainly not going to harm the plant by giving it a spray with the anti-scale because if it is a a sooty mold it of course will clear it and if it's not it will prevent something from getting onto your grevillea okay and the confidor that wouldn't help at all not at all no it's not designed for getting rid of sooty mold it's designed basically yes that's right would it help on azaleas with that um where the leaf sort of goes all strange. No, that, what, no once again, that's a different thing again. And I think just as a precaution, use your confidor. As I look across at the phone, uh, one line still free. Why don't you grab that if, um, if you'd like to uh, ask David any questions or indeed share anything with the uh, gardeners of the hunter. Uh, before we get started, David, I'd just like to talk about uh, Australians, uh, Australia's Open Garden Certainly. Scheme, if I could. Um, two uh, wonderful gardens opened this last weekend under the scheme, um, Rainbird Lodge at uh, Motto Farm and Heritage at Williamtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people had a good time uh, visiting all of those gardens. Um, and there are two coming up in uh, November, if you'd like to mark them down, for the weekend of 19th and 20th, the Bonzio Garden at 2 Thompson Street, Charlestown, and Recondita at 73 Freiburg Street, New Lambton. Um, good thing to do, go out and visit people's yes, gardens. Yes, I haven't been to either of those two, so that will be interesting. Yep. Um, but even more uh, important, David, if people would like to... Um, uh, have their garden in the Australian Open Garden Scheme. It's quite easy. You don't have to have a huge garden. No, you don't. Or um, a spectacular garden. 
Um, private gardens of every size, style and description are what they say. Old and young, large and small, from inner city courtyards to grand country estates, from tropical gardens to the more traditional gardens of the temperate south. Um, if you want to be included in the scheme, the only thing is your garden must be a good example of its type. It must be interesting and well-maintained. If, uh, if you think uh, you might be interested in opening your garden as part of the Australian Open Garden Scheme, then contact the local coordinator. Uh, if you're in Lucy on 49543473, 49543473, she'd be more than happy to hear from you, or you can go to the website on uh, www.opengarden.org.au, www.opengarden.org.au and uh, share your garden with, uh, with gardeners everywhere. Um, are we right to go, David? I am, yes. Okay, um, let me see. Uh, Mark from Waratah is on the line. Hello, Mark. Hello there, how you going? Good, thank you. That's the way. What can I um, do for you? Um, a few years ago, I put in uh, a heap of uh, daffodil bulbs, and uh, for the last couple of years, I've had a, some nice showings of daffodils. But um, this year... They didn't. I got the shoots, but I never got any flowers. Like okay. now they're, is that is that regular or? Well, in sometimes sometimes it does happen like that, and it all comes down to what we did the previous season. Because remembering, with any form of bulb, it dies back down, and when it's dying back into the bulb, it takes all the energy back into the bulb ready for the next season's production. So it's always a very, very good idea when they are dying back down, even though they look a little bit sick, is to actually continue feeding them with some liquid fertiliser to get all that energy back into the bulb ready for next season's flowering. And sometimes when we don't do that, we often do get um, a lack of flowering the following season. In some cases, that doesn't work like that, and we, it's just the, up to the seasons in general that cause them not to flower as well as what they did the previous year. So, of course, for this year, of course, it's a very good idea when they are starting to die back down is, once again, just to feed them with a liquid fertiliser to get all that energy back into the bulb ready oh, for next okay. year. Okay. All right. I just, I just thought it uh, strange that I never... Well, as, as considering we take 12 months to go from one um, season to the next as far as bulbs go, yes, it's a whole 12 months of preparation that we're looking forward to, but um, unfortunately and sometimes they will let us down. And would you suggest, I like to uh, leave the bulbs in, uh, thinking that they're going to uh, be more flush next year or would you suggest to be pulling them out and growing them or no i don't i don't mind you leaving them in the ground because as long as there's room for them to grow and as long as you know that they're there that you're not actually planting around them or on top of them uh, it's quite safe to leave them in the ground but certainly a lot of people will dig them up and store them in some uh uh, bags that let the air through and a typical example of that is just the old orange bags that you buy oranges in they're great for storing in because they allow the air to get through them have to leave it there i'm afraid um, mark's line very very dodgy there uh, as we go to um uh gail from abermain back on the line yes gail hello david yes yeah i just got to get out of here <laughs> that tricky radio again oh damn radio <laughs> um, listen, this uh, mandarin tree, Yes. it is right near the house. It's about a metre and a bit from the house, mm-hmm. maybe a metre and a half. Then 
two from the fence, which has the most massive uh, jacaranda right just there that's pushing at the fence. Yes. And I've got pots sitting underneath it. Can they be causing the trouble with the mandarin tree? Oh, look, they shouldn't be because the elements that are coming out of the pot will probably feed the root system as well. So that that shouldn't be a great problem um, or causing any problem to the trees. All right. All right. So what, what, is the fungus, what is the fungus thing you want me to put and do I put it in the pots also or okay. what? Okay. Now, the fungicide is something you're going to dilute down with water and just water it around the root system of the trees just in case there's fungal disease there. Um, so that's yeah. basically all you would need to do. And you probably only need to do that the once and that should take care of the problem besides just cutting out the dead sections and then feeding the tree with a good citrus fertiliser to try and promote some really, really good strong growth. Um, now, you shouldn't have to paint anything on the cuts <laughs> once you've made them because you won't be cutting huge sections out. So okay. that, that will just heal up itself, particularly with a lemon tree. They'll heal quite easily. Yeah, well, with this mandarin tree, we have actually taken one big fat branch off that had died back really bad, mm -hmm. and well, the second big branch. Well, look, certainly if you're a bit worried about the branch that you've cut off, you can use a, a tree uh, sealant, which will just uh, seal off that cut, and that will prevent any disease from getting into those areas. A lot of problems there with uh, Gail's mandarin tree. Um, 17 minutes past one, gardening talk back on to NURFM 103.7. Uh, David, remember the curly-leaved uh, tomatoes? Yes. Rennie rang back to say the tomatoes were grossless. Oh, no, well, certainly mm. um, if they're grossless tomatoes, you shouldn't have any uh, crinkling of the foliage to any degree whatsoever. That should be a nice, open, very sort of ferny-type foliage. You shouldn't have any twisting at all. So I'd be very, very... Um, um, dubious about putting something mm. in that looked like that. So in the future, rather than buying from Big W, you know, just go to your local, local garden centre and they're as healthy as can be. The people who understand plants. Yes. Yep. Okay, uh, Gail from Tumbiumbi is on the line now. Hello, Gail. Oh, hello, David. How are you? Good. Gosh, it's been a busy day for Gail today. Uh, yes, yeah, it has. Your name has doesn't it? have to be Gail, but it, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard the name about four times. <laughs> Um, look, David, I've got a real problem with um, blackberry uh, vines. Yes, what? not uh, the old common one that grows from the bush, you yes, mean? Yes, what's <gasps> happened is I've got a lovely frangipani bush uh, tree at the back mm -hmm. and um, with um, violets all growing underneath and bulbs and whatnot. And about three years ago, I noticed one blackberry bush coming up under it. And I'd say a bird's most probably yes, have to see yes. it. And I didn't do anything at the time because the frangipani was um, at its best. I left it there and then about a year later I thought I got in and dug it all up and of course it come back ten times mm. worse and I've got dozens of them. Oh, Twice I've got in and dug it, thought what I've got all the vines out and everything and they just keep popping up everywhere. Mm. 
And I'm wondering, how do, is there any way of digging them out or do I have to go to poison? Well, I think, I think you, I mean, well, yes, I mean, you've tried to dig them out and obviously there's seeds that are still falling and that's why you're having all these new ones come up. But certainly if you can get in when they're very, very young, when you first see them, you can just give them a hit with some zero roundup or glyphosate ah. uh, just by either spraying or touching just some of the foliage with this particular product. And that way it'll go down and just kill that plant outright and that'll save you pulling them out and of course by using either of these three products that won't harm the soil so you haven't got the trouble of it worrying the frangipani as well so certainly yes just um, have some glyphosate roundup or um, zero on hand and just as I said just dab a little bit on the foliage and that should take care of those little um, suckers that are still coming up. Okay I didn't know if that was strong enough. Oh yes it should be well it should be if you get in when they're only young but certainly there are other products um, mm. or if you have a fairly mature blackberry but I would never suggest to um, use that around existing plants that are in that area because it's quite a powerful product the blackberry yes reason. yes that's what I thought would be the only so keep thing right that... away from that yeah. um, because otherwise you'll have problems with all your other things that are growing in the well, area well that's what I was worried whether mm. I'd have to poison the violets and the bulbs. well you will poison everything if you use the tree and blackberry killer oh, so great. that's why just stay with the zero uh, and just try and get to them when they're only very young and just dab it with some zero yeah and well, uh, would that kill it like one off or do you think or um, that's all it will do that's all it's designed to do, just kill the plant that you actually dab it onto and not spread in the soil. Because it's very tough. The, the roots of it has gone under the um, concrete edges, yes. uh, which is about 40 centimetres across, you mm. know, and it seems to be spreading everywhere. Yes. That's why I was pretty worried. I thought I'd have to get something pretty powerful to kill No, well, it, I think you know? you'll probably find if you get on with the zero when they're fairly young, that will consume the product and draw it down into the root system. Oh, very good. Yes. Oh, well, that sounds... I've been worrying for nothing then. I thought I'd have to do something really made, like get a bulldozer yes. in it. Oh, I hope we don't have to go to that degree. Good. Thank you very much You're for that, welcome. David. Okay. Bye-bye Bye-bye now. Thank you, Gail. Do you remember when I was a kid in uh, Edgeworth, sort of 40 or 50 years ago, blackberries everywhere. Oh, yes. and, but they seem to have got, got that... Got you got them eradicated yes, pretty yes. well, um, but uh, maybe you know. You know, we can spring, we can yeah. plant blackberries again now, but can it's we? The, yes, it's the cultivated version, right? And it's just called a thornless blackberry. So mm. they are available. All of those sorts of berries are mm. still available now oh, right. in the nurseries. Yes, yeah, but they're not as they're, no, they don't. No, they yeah. certainly aren't like the old weed blackberries. Ooh, so. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's say hello to Brian from Valentine. Hello, Brian. G'day, David. Hello, Phil. How hello. are you both? We're good. Good, thank you. Yeah, you sound like you're on top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> David, I've um, got a dozen or so alamanders and mandevillias in my backyard, mm-hmm. all various colours of, and some are in pots and some are in the ground. Now, one in particular in a pot is called Caramel Blush, mm-hmm. and it's not doing anything. Okay. I can find it stands about a meter, meter and a half. I've got it clipped to a fence. Yes. And there is one green bud on it where 
where some of the others are already in flower. Yes. Well, just be careful with the alamanders and, of course, the mandevillias because they're warm climate things, so they rely on the heat to actually produce the foliage. Yeah. And particularly with the alamanders, they can be somewhat even slower in shooting out for the season. Uh-huh. I know for a fact that we don't often have the old climbing yellow alamander until closer to Christmas until it is very, very warm because they've got to be brought down from up the coast. So I wouldn't worry too much about the alamander because it will shoot away eventually. Just make sure that you have fed them up so you're going to promote good, strong growth. But it just requires fairly warm conditions. And, of course, yeah. with our season this year, we haven't it's had been topsy-turvy the whole the way yeah. through. So yeah. it just re- is going to rely on the warm weather to make it shoot yeah. away for and you. And what, just some slow-release fertiliser? Just use thing? something like your pelleted manure that you can just throw oh, around, yeah. which yeah. will just eventually break down. All right, David. Okay. Thank you for your help. Thanks, Brian. Bye, David. Bye-bye now. Yes, goodbye, Brian. Thanks for calling. And um, let's go now to Ray from Toronto. Hello, Ray. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Um, I just want to talk to you about a problem that we have with roses, Mm -hmm. iceberg variety. Yes. And the the one in particular, the the leaves are all shriveled into little thin sort of uh, spirally things, yes. and the the buds themselves have gone all small, and the flowers are poorly. Um, and it's badly in one bush, but it's also in other bushes as well. Um, the the leaves, rather than forming fully, are like um, like little spurs sort yes. of thing. Okay. Well, this is a very, very common indication as though some form of spray has drifted onto it and it just causes them to become very, very deformed. And normally the sole culprit of these are chemicals or weed chemicals or herbicides that have been sprayed particularly over the lawn or they've drifted onto your roses. Now, if it is the case, and often zero will do this as well, particularly if you've been using zero around the area, this often causes problems like this with roses. And really the only way for this to get out of the roses is by cutting the roses back to try and force some growth, some new growth up. And eventually you'll find that the new growth will come out how it should rather than all this twisted version. So right. as I said, it's just some form of spray damage that's occurred to the roses. You haven't used any zero around the roses at all? Nothing, nothing okay. near it. And, okay, um, and if there's been in, someone spraying some herbicide, you know, for bindies and things in their lawn, if this has drifted onto the roses, this is another thing that often causes all that deformity over roses. Right, I'm not aware of that yes. either, actually. Mm. So what I would suggest that you do mm. is to cut all this deformed area out and right. try and promote some other growth. And as I said, eventually you'll find that the growth will come back free of all of this and right. should be as normal again. Now, it's, uh, we have bought a replacement one, and I'm just wondering if is there any danger of something being in the soil that is causing... Not at all. All right. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, go well, won't you? Okay, thanks, Ray. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye now. Thank you very much, Ray. Um, David, our last caller for today is from Morissette, and we say hello to Billy. Hello, Billy. Oh, hello. How are you, David? Good, thank you. Good. Um that man just ringing about the roses with the drift of the spray yes. is interesting too. Uh, but um, what I wanted to ask you about, there was a person ring about spraying weed killer mm. before the rain. Yes. Now, does that apply also 
to spraying the roses for black spot? It certainly does. Any form of spray that you use in the garden, we often say you need at least a good six hours of drying time because that not only makes the, lets the chemical dry, it starts the chemical working within the plant or the grass or whatever you're spraying it onto. Now, as I said, this six hours is only a precautionary uh, time. It sometimes can be much less, but I say six hours because it's a good safe time for the chemicals to be on and start working whatever they're being sprayed for. So if you have a downpour after that, after, you really need to do them again. Well, if, we, if you have a downpour, say, after three hours of spraying, you'll probably find it's still okay. But certainly if you've sprayed and it rains within an hour, I would suggest that you would need to do that again. Yes. Oh, thank you. And I, I just, I'll have to have a little Skype. Oh, very good. Oh, very we haven't good. had a Skype. No, today. we haven't. <laughs> it's just a beautiful time of the year because everything, all of a sudden the rain comes and everything closes up, the daisies go to sleep and everything, you know, and then you get one warm day. You've got the nasturtiums, I've got evening primrose, the cosmos and the gazanias. It's just a picture. It is I, a lovely time of the year, isn't it? Just beautiful. Yes. Thank you, David. All right. Well, thank you for that little bit of skite. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bye. Billy. Bye-bye Bye. now. Yeah, not so much a skite, I think, is just a glorification of things well, I, that are happening yeah, in the I garden. I think yeah. it, when, when, you've, when you've got a garden and you work yeah. on it and you, and you stand back, or if you can afford the time to stand back and look yeah. at it, and particularly at this time of the year where everything is coming out, it makes you feel good. Mm. And particularly if someone tells you that your garden looks good, that makes yeah, you feel even right. better as well. On Compass on ABC TV last night, I saw Peter Cundall. Oh, know, yes. And, um, and uh, they were talking about sort of, you know, the meaning of life and all those deep questions. And, and, and uh, the, the interviewer asked Peter Cundall what he really thought was you know, a wonderful thing in his life. And he said, oh, if I sow some beans and I go out <laughs> one day and the first few beans are up and I've got a few flowers on, on, my, on my pea pods. And, and he, he said, you know, I'm just a really happy person. That's right, and, yes. And I thought, wow, that, that's really what gardening's all about. <laughs> you know, it, it's an awe-inspiring thing. It is, yes. Okay, David, um, it's time for you to pick a winner uh, for these wonderful things that you're giving away. Uh, I just... Um, I've been staring at this this plant that you're giving away <laughs> all through the program. Not that I haven't been paying attention, mind you. Of course you. not, Phil. Uh, but it, it's just a gorgeous it thing. Is. Tell us about it again. All right. It's simply just called White Princess because I'm not game enough to, uh, <laughs> to pronounce the botanical name. If you're name not game enough to, we're not, David. <laughs> so it is, a, it is a bulb. It is a spring-flowering, well, I suppose we can call it spring-flowering bulb. And this one has about four plants in it, which is just beautifully in flower with these wonderful spikes of white flowers. And it just looks... Uh, magic and as Phil said earlier in the program it does start flowering from the base of the flower right up to the very tip and the flowers on this one is only half opened at the moment so it's still got quite a way to go. And a few spikes still coming yes, on down the back there yes. too. Yes, yeah. so it's, it's really great to just add a little bit of instant colour into a fairly dull spot in the garden. As well as that I've got a container of the EcoGuard which is of course that foliage tonic and of course a bottle of the Organics Harvest which is the other one which is the liquid fertiliser that you can dilute down and water on everything in the garden as well as some sachets in that bag as well and I'm going to give it to Sue of Aberdare today. Now Sue rang me about 
about the bird of paradise today. So, Sue, all you really need to do is try and make your way to Walls End Community Nursery. And, of course, that's on the corner of Crowdus and Lake Road, Walls End. One condition is that you try and get in before next Monday's program where I will have a brand-new gift to give away next Monday. And I'm sure it'll be a huge week in the garden <laughs> for all gardeners, yes. David. And uh, everyone will have a lot more questions to ask oh, you so. next yes. Monday. So we'll look forward to seeing you then. Thank you, Phil. So I'll see you then. And good gardening, everyone.